No matter who you are or where you are, we really are a church for you. Now, I have a question that I want to ask you this morning. Have you ever heard of this life principle before? That first impressions are lasting impressions. Or maybe you've heard the Will Rogers quote that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Now, kids, what this means, if we've got kids in the room watching, here's what this means. It means that when someone meets you for the first time, often that's how they remember you. Now, if this is true, let me ask you another question. Have you ever made a bad first impression? Okay, I'm going to tell you about one of the bad first impressions that I made. I was in, I was in college. Um, I was about 19 years old, and I was interviewing for a program in the College of Education. I got my bachelor's degree in elementary education, and they had this program called the Meadows Program, which allowed you to actually graduate with your master's, uh, with your bachelor's and your master's in five years, and, instead of just doing your bachelor's in four and then taking two plus to do your master's. And so I really wanted to get into this program, and, and uh, I had taken some tests and gone through some steps, and it kind of came down to this one last interview. And I went back and read through the application, and it said that for this interview, uh, the dress expectation was business casual. Well, I was 19 years old. I had no idea what business casual was. So I did what I thought was business casual. I wore a collared shirt and shorts. Business up top, casual on bottom. I figured this would work until I walked in the room where the interview was taking place. There, I saw everybody else dressed, and I realized business casual isn't what I thought business casual was. Business casual is actually a little bit more casual than wearing a suit, right? Slacks or khakis, college shirt, a tie would have been appropriate. It was in that moment that I wished I could have had another first impression because I didn't get into the program. I didn't get the position. And so if you've ever been in a place where a first impression wasn't your best impression, if you've ever been in a place where, where you wanted a reset, I have got news for you today because today we're going to be talking about a reset button. And we're going to see the power of a first impression, but we're also going to see, y'all, the joy of a reset. Now, if, if, if you are joining us uh, from here in Asheville, I want to take a minute and just do one more announcement about in-person services. Uh, we are having in-person services on Thursday nights, and you can RSVP on our website. Doors open at 5 and then close at 5.30, and it's when we film the message. And then we're going to start our in-person services on Sunday morning, October 25th at 9 o'clock. For both the Thursday night and the Sunday morning, RSVPs are required. Masks are required. Um, and physical distancing is going to be uh, what happens in the room. We'll have chairs set up. We'll have all the systems in place uh, to make physical distancing happen. And so if you're excited about that, I would love for you to RSVP and register uh, so that we know that you're coming, uh, and, and, and let's just do that. Now, if you are here in Asheville and you want to stay virtual, or if you're not in Asheville, don't worry, because this virtual platform is going to continue. We may change the time here in a little while, but right now it's going to stay as is. And so, so I'm glad you're here. And here's what I want you to know, um, because uh, this is just a weird time for churches. It's a weird time for people. No matter, where, no matter if you're choosing to stay home and to join us virtually, or come in person, 
I want you to know as your pastor, I think that is the best choice for you and your family. There is no pressure to do one over the other. We really want you to do what you feel uh, through prayer and wisdom is the best for your family. We are here to serve you. Now, kids, let's talk about first impressions again. And adults in the room, we're going to continue talking about first impression too. But kids, let me ask you this. Have your parents ever told you uh, what's important when meeting someone? Have they ever talked to you about first impressions? If they have, maybe they told you things like making eye contact is good, or when you meet an adult, you refer to them as Mr. or Mrs., or when they ask you a question, you say yes, sir, or no, or, or no, sir, yes, ma'am, or, 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 or no, ma'am. My parents, what they told me about first impressions, and when they talked about the importance of first impressions, they said, be sure and look people in the eye and give them a strong handshake. And that's what I did. Like, I worked hard on doing that. I even remember looking in the mirror to practice looking at myself in the eyes and smiling when I, when I would meet someone. But see, there's something that they left out about first impressions that maybe wasn't as true then or as urgent then as it is now. Because you see, this, this, this idea of a first impression assumes something. It assumes that the first impression someone has of you, they get the first time they meet you. The first time you're able to look them in the eye, the first time you're able to shake their hand, the first time you're able to say, yes, sir, or, no, ma'am, that that's when the first impression happens. But, but here's the deal. Many times that simply isn't true. Many times before anybody meets you, chances are they've already heard about you. Chances are they already know something about you. Chances are they've already measured you up, either by what you've posted on social media or by what others have told them about you. This is called your reputation, right? And one way to think about first impressions is this, that your reputation is actually your first impression. That your reputation is your first impression. Now, is this good or is it bad? I don't know. It's just the way life works. And what we're going to see is that this isn't just the way life works now, that it is the way life has always worked. And we're going to see that in our passage today in Ruth chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7 in Ruth. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Or if you have your phone or iPad next to you, you can, you can turn on the Bible app and find those passages there. Uh, you can also go on the Bible app and still find us uh, in there too. And there's a little write-up in there and the passages are there. But as you're turning to Ruth, uh, we're calling this series Pause. And, and here's why. This book of Ruth is full of pauses, of, of people hitting pause on themselves and on their lives to, to kind of redirect and, and change and alter what's happening around them. And today, we're going to see this great reason to hit pause in your life. And this pause that we're going to talk about today is the key to a reset when a bad first impression is the first impression. Because the pause we're going to see today is a pause to notice, a pause to see, a pause to look around and in particular see where a reset might be needed. And as we go through this passage, I want you to watch for the pause and notice, notice in this passage uh, what to see. All right, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 says this. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man 
of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And so, so here you see the narrator kind of setting the scene for us. And we're introduced to this guy named Boaz. Now, Boaz is going to be an important person as the book of Ruth continues on. And, and, and as the book of Ruth has already done, we've seen that the meaning of names are really important because they kind of give you this, this look into the character and this look into the people of this, of, of this, of this book. And, he, and, and with Boaz's name, it's, his name means in him is strength, is what Boaz means. And that's how we see that he's described already in this verse. The ESV says that he is worthy. The NIV uh, says that he's a man of standing. And when you look at the original word in Hebrew, the word that's translated as worthy or a man of good standing, the original Hebrew word means that he's strong and he's wealthy is what it means. So, so, so in our terms, like here's what, here's what it means. It means that like Boaz was the guy that everybody in the city knew, right? It, it also means that, that it, in our terms that, that he might be considered an influencer, if you will, right? Like if he was on Instagram, he would have a lot of followers. That's who Boaz is. And here we see the first impression of Boaz is an impressive one. And what's also impressive about Boaz, and we're going to see this later as the book unfolds, is that it says here that he was a relative of Naomi. And so since he was a relative of Naomi, that means he was a relative of Ruth by marriage. Because if you remember, Ruth married one of Naomi's sons, now, this will be a key factor later on, but right now, let's keep on going. In Ruth chapter 2, for those of you, I don't know if you can hear all that, but for those of you who are used to church in person, there's the sirens. Isn't that fun? Just like Sunday mornings. All right, chapter, I mean, verse 2, Ruth, chapter 2, verse 2 says this. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, here's what Ruth is doing. Ruth is going to take care of Naomi. That's what she promised to do, right? right we've, we saw uh, last week where Ruth said, your people are my people, your God is my God. Um, uh, and, and so she was binding herself to, Na- to Naomi. And she said, wherever you go, I will go. In a sense, she was becoming Naomi's daughter. And as Naomi's daughter, she wants to care for her mother. Now, they've just arrived to Israel, and here's what they don't have. They don't have jobs, right? They don't even have fields to produce food for themselves. So they've got to do what's called gleaning. Now, now gleaning is this, is this, is this um, uh, process that's laid out in the Old Testament in, in, in the law of God. In, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we're introduced to this term gleaning. And what it means is it's this term that shows God's heart for the poor and God's heart for the needy because he commanded his people to do certain things to allow the poor to be able to work for their food when they don't have any. And it's called the gleaning laws. And for example, it says like with barley and grain, when you're harvesting the field, you only go over the field once and you don't, leave, you don't touch the corners. You leave the corners untouched so that the, the, the poor can come in after the harvesters and pick up what's left. And then they take that for themselves. There's even a, a gleaning law about an olive tree that when you're harvesting the olive tree, uh, a lot of times they would take a stick and hit the tree and, and you can only hit the stick going from the center of the tree out. You can't go out and come back in so that, so that the poor can come in and, and, and pick the olives that didn't fall that first time. And in all that, it shows God's heart for the poor. 
and that he allows for them to be able to to care for themselves. Well, that is what Ruth is going to do. She's going to go and glean in the field so that she can come back to her home with Naomi with food that they don't don't have. Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. It says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, I love this. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Listen, Ruth, this girl, she's new in town. She doesn't know Boaz. She doesn't know who owns what field. She's just going to the field where the, harvest, where the harvesters are so that she can come in after them and get food. She doesn't know who Boaz is. She doesn't know his field. But y'all, listen to me. God does. And God brought her right where he wanted her. And so you see, here's the deal. As we're talking about first impressions and we're talking about reputation, we're talking about good first impressions and bad first impressions, we're talking a little bit about good reputations and bad reputations. Here's what you've got to remember, is that God is still in control. Right? God moved Ruth to the field right where he needed her. Even in my life, even for me, even though I didn't get into the program that I wanted to get into, God was in control, and he put me right where he needed me. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the rest of that story here in a little bit, but he put me right where he needed me. Well, let's keep reading, because now Boaz is going to show up to the field. Verse 4 says this. It says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And so there's a scene. You can imagine it. The harvesters are there in the field and, and they're harvesting the grain. And, and Boaz shows up and he gives them this greeting, the Lord bless you. And they give a greeting back. And, and it's this great picture of Boaz's character, his reputation, right? That's another word for, for reputation, his character. And it begins to, to show through because he greets his workers and they greet him back. And we can see at least a glimpse that there is this great respect between Boaz and his workers. We can see that Boaz is a good boss, right? And and, and here we're about to see the pause. Boaz is going to pause to notice something. Look at verse 5. It says, Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Uh Uh-huh. He notices something, doesn't he? He hits pause and he notices. He looks across his, week, his workers and, and he sees those gleaning in the field and he says, who's, who's that? Who's, whose young woman is this? And he notices Ruth when he hits pause. But y'all, I want to point out something here um, because it's a great look into the character of Boaz. It's a great look into his reputation because notice what he says. He says, whose young woman is this? See, he knows that this woman belongs to somebody. He doesn't know who, but what he does know is that she doesn't belong to him. Now, here's why that's important. Because you see, unfortunately, gleaning, the work that Ruth is doing, could be very dangerous work. If she was gleaning in somebody else's field, uh, it wouldn't be uncommon uh, for her to be taken advantage of. It wouldn't be uncommon for those gleaning in the field to be hurt by the harvesters or those who own the property because they saw them as people that they could control. 
It wasn't uncommon for men to see women as property. And Boaz didn't see her this way. He saw her as somebody else's, not his. Now, I'm going to do a little side here. Ladies, if you're dating a guy, right, if you're dating someone, don't date a guy who controls you. Don't date a guy who thinks of you as property. Don't date a guy who acts like he owns you. Guys, don't date a girl who tries to control you. Because here's the gist. And here's what we see in Boaz's character. That people are not property. People are not property. He knew he had this proper view of women, right? He knew that Ruth wasn't his to own. That she wasn't his to control. And his pause to notice, he notices something about her. Not just that, but something else. Look at the rest of this in verse 6 and 7. It says this. It says, And this servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among your sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning, morning until now, except for a short rest. And so here's what Boaz notices. Here's what he's told by, by one of his workers. He sees her reputation. Right now, now remember, your reputation is your first impression. Right? And so he hasn't even met her yet, and yet he already knows a whole lot about her. He already knows about her reputation. And what do we see about her reputation here? We see that she is faithful. Right? She is faithful. She has kept her promise to care for Naomi. Because that's what faithful people do. They, they keep their promises. She said she would care for Naomi. She said she would go out in the fields and work. And that's what she did. We also see that she's a hard worker, right? She is a hard worker. She started in the morning and hasn't stopped except for a short little rest. She's worked in the field all day. We also see that she's respectful, right? She came up and she asked permission to glean in the fields. We see that she's humble, right? She didn't show up and ask where Boaz is. She didn't show up. Uh, to, 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 to do anything but to work. And in her humility, she's willing to start at the very bottom of work and to, and to do the hard work. But here's something else that we see about her, and it's this, that she's not defined by labels. Now, here's what this means. One aspect, this one aspect is a, is a character quality that, that one of our growth group leaders pointed out. We, uh, with our growth groups, we're going through the book of Ruth, and they're a couple of weeks ahead of me in, in, in my messages. And, and so we do these leader prep meetings via Zoom. And so every week, different leaders kind of prepare a passage of scripture for uh, all the leaders. And so I get to interview them about the passages. It's really a lot of fun. And on one of these, when we're going over this Th these verses, one of the leaders talked about that Ruth wasn't defined by labels. And I had never heard this before. And I said, tell me, tell me what you mean by that. And she made the comment. She's like, multiple times, even in these verses, two times in these verses, she's, we're, we're reminded that she's a Moabite. And, and if, as we've talked about with Ruth, a Moabite was an enemy of the nation of Israel. 
And like I said, if you, if you Googled the history of how Moabites became Moabites, you can see why they weren't invited to the family reunion, right? Like there is this, this bizarre relationship between Israel and Moab. And, and we're reminded by that. And, and, and Ruth is a Moabite. It's this label. It's this label of a foreigner. It's this label of an outcast. It's this label of an enemy that she had. But she did not let that keep her from being faithful, from being hardworking, from being humble. You see, she let her character speak louder than her label. And y'all, I'm going to stop right here because this is, this is one way to hit reset when you make a bad first impression. This is one way to hit reset when you have a bad reputation. And it's this, is to let your character outshine your reputation. Right? Let your character outshine your reputation. Because you see, here's the deal with reputations. Let's be honest, sometimes they're earned, right? Sometimes we all do bad things. Sometimes we all make mistakes, but sometimes they aren't earned. Sometimes people just talk and they gossip. And, and gossip is never about the good stuff you do. It's always about the negative. It's always about, about the bad stuff you do. And, and, and that can create a bad reputation that's not even earned. You see, and here's how you can hit reset on a bad reputation. You let your character speak louder than other people's talk, just like Ruth did. Now, in Ruth's case, her character spoke louder than her label. In many sermons I've heard, the pastor says, go have a reputation like Ruth. Be faithful, be hardworking, be humble, and all of that is great. And yes, go do that. But what happens when you don't, right? Let's get real. At Fellowship, we're a place where it's okay to be anything except a liar. And we know that all of us make mistakes. We know that all of us have bad days, right? And what happens on one of those days when you make a mistake and it tarnishes your reputation? What happens if it's not even a mistake? What happens if you like jump head first into sin, knowingly and willingly, you jump head first into it and it gets the better of your reputation? And what happens if, if you realize you don't want to continue to do that anymore and you want to live a life different than you've been living? What happens is that you show what your character really is. And I want to tell you what character is because I think this is important. Character is behavior over time, right? It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the actions that you do day after day, week after week, year after year. That's what your character is. For example... You gossip, right? You don't want to gossip anymore. You confess it and you repent of it, and that is good. The way, though, your character speaks louder than your reputation is you decide to be a person where you don't allow people to gossip around you. You don't allow them to gossip to you. You don't allow them to gossip around you. And one of the ways to stop that, it's, it's one of the things I've done when people want to tell me things about people that I don't need to know, is I say, listen, I can help you with this, but here's the best way I'm going to help you. You can tell me, but I'm going to hold you accountable to talking to that person by Tuesday of next week. And if you don't talk to them by Tuesday of next week, I'm going to call them and tell them to call you so you can have the conversation. Oftentimes that stops the gossip. Right? That's what character does. It's behavior over time. And, or, or let's be honest, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you have crossed a line into sexual immorality and you want to stop. You realize that is not the way that God wants you to live. 
And so you confess and you repent of it. You call it sin and and you turn away from it. That's what repent means, and that is good. But what is great is to set your standards to purity so that you don't go back into sexual immorality again, so you don't go too far to turn back. I'll tell you a true story. Go off my notes here just a little bit. Um, I, I may have mentioned this before, I don't know, but my wife and I, when we were dating, we only kissed once the entire time we were dating and engaged. And that was on the night we got engaged, we kissed, and we didn't kiss again until we were married, until we kissed in front of God and everybody at our wedding. As a matter of fact, on our engagement night, I may have said something cheesy like, there's more of that, where that there's more of this where, where this comes from on our wedding day. It worked in the 90s. But here's the deal. I did that because I knew my temptation. And I knew that if I started something, I might not be able to stop. And so I drew the line way back here. And I know that's not for everybody. That's okay. But that's what I had to do because I wanted my character to speak louder than my reputation. Now, here's the deal about reputations, because you see, reputations can be ruined by one bad action, especially today, right? In today's world, one bad action can completely destroy a reputation. And let me ask you, have you ever done one bad thing that could destroy your reputation if somebody found out about it? Anybody out there thankful that that thing hasn't been caught on video? My my, my Gen X friends, my baby boomer friends, aren't you glad your foolish teenage and college years uh, were before social media, right? You see, if, if that's you, go ahead and feel free to give me a digital amen right now on Facebook or leave a comment uh, that you agree with me. Because even though reputations can be ruined with one bad action, there's something else that's true also. Is that reputations can be rebuilt by character. Now, I told you about my business casual interview that didn't go very well. Well, like I said, I didn't get in the program. I was devastated. But also, like I said, God was in control because he puts us right where he wants us. He didn't want me in that program. He wanted me someplace else. And I was really disappointed because the way in North Texas, uh, that's where I did my undergrad, uh, the University of North Texas, uh, you did three years of class, you know, like uh, academic work. And then, and then your last year you spent student teaching and half of it was with one supervising teacher and the other half was with another supervising teacher. And I knew that if I'd gotten the Meadows program, I would have these excellent teachers teaching me the ins and outs of teaching and, and elementary education. But here's what I got. I walked into the classroom my first day to meet the teacher that I was going to be working with for the next few months. Her first words to me were, I never asked for a student teacher. Unfortunately, our relationship went downhill from there. It was an awful experience, y'all. Y'all, she would, she, she would talk about what a horrible teacher I was to all the other teachers, Right? She, she would talk about, one, one, one time she even pulled me into the principal's office like a third grader in our class because she thought I had drunk too much the night before and I just had a cold. But she was convinced that there was something else going on. My final evaluation from her, she wrote three positive phrases about me and then four pages of negative comments. It was awful. 
And I said to myself, if I get another supervising teacher like her, I will never teach a day in my life. Remember, God is in control. The next supervising teacher I had, let me tell you what God did. He put me in a woman's class named Marcy Kellum. And she was my supervising teacher for the rest of my student teaching. Now, Marcy had heard all the things that this other teacher had said about me. But Marcy did something spectacular. She gave me time to let my character show. She took the things that she had heard about my reputation and she set them aside. And she said, I'm going to give Fred time to either prove all this stuff true or to prove it false. And about halfway through my time, she told me that she had heard all the things that my previous teacher had told me. And she said, either you made an incredibly quick personality shift and character change, or none of the stuff that I heard was true because she said, I have never seen one of those qualities in you, not one of them. You see, what Marcy did to me is what we see here. We see this space. She gave me space to let my character show through. Ruth's character was showing through, even though she had this label of Moabite. Now, Marcy also showed me some serious grace that day when she said that. But what neither one of us knew is that my dad was going to die a couple of weeks after that. And Marcy was the teacher that I came back to. And, and, and through the profession of teaching, she gave me the space that I needed to heal as I was learning how to teach. You see, God knew exactly where I needed to be because she was the grace and support I needed during those difficult days. You see, church, sometimes we need a reset. I needed a reset. But sometimes we need to pause and notice those around us who need a reset. You see, sometimes we need a reset. But sometimes we need to give someone else a reset. Now, We've all been given a very powerful reset in the gospel of Jesus, right? He's wiped away all of our sins. The power and penalty of our sin has been wiped away, allowing us to to live in the goodness, kindness, and mercy of God's love. And maybe you need that reset today by saying yes to Jesus. And if so, do it. Place your life in his hands and, and let him hit that reset button for you because it's worth it. Many of us, though, watching this right now, have said yes to Jesus. We said yes to that reset. Let me ask you this question. Do you need a reset in a particular area of your life? Is there somewhere that you need to change, that you need to confess and repent, letting your character have the space to show through? Well, let me encourage you to let the Holy Spirit guide you on this, but I have another encouragement for you, another question for you. Do you know someone in your life that needs a reset today? Parents of teenagers, I guarantee you, you do, right? Other people, do you know someone in your life that needs a reset? Y'all, this story I shared rocks me because I told you a story about two different supervising teachers. Do you know which one was the choir singing, church attending, Bible quoting person? The first one, not Marcy. You see, church, 
This is why this is important for those of you who have said yes to Jesus. Because did you know you can know the Bible backwards and forwards and still be as mean as a snake? And if this is you, if this is you, you have given time to God. You've given time to to, to read your Bible. You've given time to show up to church. But if this is you, you you know your Bible. If this is you and you know your Bible and you're as as mean as a snake or other people think you're as mean as a snake, no throwing elbows or sending text messages or any of that, you, you know who you are. Maybe your post between now and election day are getting a little bit more aggressive. And I'm not talking about the informational posts. Those are one thing. I'm talking about the, the posts that belittle another human being. I'm talking about the post that separates you from people who know and love you. If that's you, you're the one I'm talking about. You're as mean as a snake and you know your Bible. Here's what this means. It means you have given your time to God, but now it's time to give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart mind, soul, and strength to him. Because when you give Jesus your heart, here's what you do. You find it easier to give yourself a reset, which is what you need right now. And you find it easier to give others resets, which is what they need. In those two stories, you know who showed me the grace of God? Marcy did. She let my character shine through. Y'all, For the love of Jesus, let's be like Marcy. Let's give people space to let their character show through. Let's give bad reputations time to let character outshine those bad reputations. And so I leave you with this. Be like Marcy. Church, let's be a people who believe in character over reputation. Let's be those people. If there's someone if there's someone whose character is shining through church, I want you to tell them. Especially in today's times, trust me, they need to hear that you see them. They need to hear that that you believe in them. They need to hear the words that Marcy told me. I've heard this about you, but I see this in you. And I think that is wrong. Let's be those people. I think the world needs to hear that. I think there's people listening right now and people that you know right now that need to hear that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, give us the words to speak into people's character. Give us us the eyes to see them as you see them, as the the goodness and, and mercy and kindness that you see us with. Allow us to see others with. And Father, may we be a people that that don't listen just to what we hear, but we acknowledge what we see. In Christ's name we pray, amen.